That was meant for you. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I am uh, here to introduce our speaker for this morning and for Friday. And because you came to hear him and not me, I'll be very, very short. First, he is a man who carries two official hats. He is heading up the church planting network for the Presbyterian Church of America in Alabama, the state of Alabama. Roll Tide. And, <laughs> and I, I have a secret hope that that will be expended to the total nation. But that would undercut his second hat. He is the evangelistic preacher of the Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship. So those are the two uh, official hats that he, um, that he carries. Then secondly, it is a man with a gift. Everyone has a gift. His gift is teaching. And the moment your gift comes out, you become unstoppable. And his desire is, after he teaches, that everybody becomes unstoppable to advance the kingdom. That's number two. Number three, he understands the glory of prayer because without prayer, there is no impact of the, upon, of the word. So this afternoon from two o'clock onward, we hope to invite you to the room across the blink now, if nobody shows up at 2, we definitely will be there from 4.30 to 6 after, the, after your classes to pray together for the Word of God to make an impact upon us. <clears throat> and then beyond that, on uh, Thursday morning between 6 and 9 a.m., there will be a prayer meeting at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. So a man with two hats, a man with a gift, and a man of prayer, welcome Reverend Alan Baker, please. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it is an honor to be here. Actually, I preached here longer than, uh, well, over 20 years ago, and most of y'all weren't even born yet, so it's been a while. But uh, I want to speak to you today and Friday from Psalm 51. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. If not, you can certainly listen as I read to you. Psalm 51, I want to read verses 14 and 15. On the issue of propagation, propagation. Hear God's infallible, inerrant, inspired word. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation, then my tongue will joyfully sing of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare thy praise. Let's pray briefly. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains may quake at thy presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes the water to boil to make thy name known among thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. Holy Spirit, come down upon the preacher and everyone here. 
Have your way with us. Show us Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Now, as Jesus began his earthly ministry, he comes upon Peter and Andrew, two fishermen. And he says to these men, leave your nets, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Later on, he gathers all 12 of his disciples and he sends them out to preach the kingdom of God. Then he sends out the 70. Then he is crucified. Then he's raised from the dead. And prior to his ascension, he's with his disciples in Luke 24. And he says, now I want you to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins all over the world, but beginning right here in Jerusalem. But wait, wait in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. In other words, even though you've been trained by me for three years, even though you've seen the miracles, you've seen people raised from the dead, you now see me in my resurrection. And you're about to see me ascend into heaven, even though you know all these things and have seen all these things, don't you even think about going out and preaching until the Spirit comes. In Acts chapter 1, he says, Now, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses, my martyrs, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, these men were called to preach Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, Paul commends the Romans because their faith is known throughout the whole world. In Acts chapter 8, as the people are dispersed out of Jerusalem and the apostles stay behind, we found out that everyone is going out evangelizing, not just the apostles, everybody sharing Jesus. Here's my question. As I look around my denomination, the PCA, and a lot of you here are probably in the PCA, what I'm finding is that there is a dearth of evangelistic work. We are woefully weak in evangelism. And here's a more specific uh, question I'd like to ask you. Are you presently, right here at this, at this college, are you presently engaged in sharing Jesus with people? Have you had the privilege in the last semester of leading anyone to Christ? Now, if you're like many of us in my denomination, then you're probably sitting there saying, you know, really, I haven't. So that begs the question, why not? Why is it that though we have these great, glorious doctrines, why is it that when we have this big, big God in this big, glorious salvation, why is it that we don't make Him known? What's the deal? Well, I suggest to you that we need to see what David says in these two verses I just read. Now listen, you know David. David had it going on. David was a man of power. David was the king. He was a Hebrew poet. He was wealthy. He had power. He was prominent. He had it all going on for him. And so there he is that day when he's supposed to be out in battle 
you know, he's taking a nap that afternoon. He gets up from his nap. He looks down below, and he sees naked Bathsheba bathing. He desired her. He lusted after her. He sent for her. He violated her. Then later on, she comes back, uh, David, uh, I am pregnant. Well, isn't it your husband? No, no, he's off at war. Remember, you sent him off to war. Oh, yeah. Well, I tell you what, let's bring your husband back. So he brings Uriah the Hittite back, who, of course, is referred to at the end of 2 Samuel as one of David's mighty men, a man who was faithful to David. How ironic. David says, listen, you need to go lie with your wife. No, no, no. If my other men can't enjoy marital bliss, I'm not going to either. Then David says, now what am I going to do? i got to get rid of this guy. So, you know, he sends him back to battle. He makes sure all the men kind of retreat from him when a battle occurs. And, of course, Uriah is killed in battle. Another year or so goes by, and Nathan comes to him and tells him that story. Now, David, what would you say if there's this rich man who has all of the sheep and, and goats and oxen that he needs, but he sees this little poor man over here who has one little ewe lamb, and then he takes that lamb. David, what do you think ought to happen to that guy? David is incensed. He goes, that man needs to die. Nathan says, you are that man. And then, of course, it's in that context that David writes Psalm 51. And, you know, I, we don't have time to go through this whole psalm, but I just want to mention one thing he says here. He says, Lord, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a branch that was used back in Exodus chapter 12 when the lamb was slain and the blood is on the bowl and the hyssop bush was used to put the blood on the lintel of the doorpost. In other words, it's looking forward to that day when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who is slain for the world, would give himself up for us. So David is looking in faith to the future. He's looking to that one who can save him. It's in that context. As he goes on in this psalm, he says, now, he says, Lord Deliver me from blood guiltiness. I am a murderer. I am an adulterer. God, deliver me. Now, when you deliver me, watch this now. When you deliver me, my tongue will joyfully sing of thy righteousness. Here's a man who was guilty. And now he looks forward to that day when Christ would come. He knows his sins are forgiven. He's been cleansed of adultery and murder. And because of that, he says, my mouth will proclaim your righteousness. I can't help but proclaim your righteousness when I understand what you've done for me. Open my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may declare thy praise. Do you know why we don't speak of Jesus to people? We don't really believe we were blood guilty. Listen, the very best of you, the most moral of you, those who've been brought up in the covenant of grace, who know the larger and shorter catechism and the Westminster Confession of Faith backwards and forwards, the best of you prior to God's regenerating work were blood guilty. 
Not only that, you still sin, do you not? Just as David and the covenant sinned greatly. But our problem is we forget how wretched we were. We forget how wretched our own flesh still is. Listen, David, if here's a man who has it all together, if David can fall grievously into sin like that, what does that say about you and me? So David is a man who's a model for what we ought to be doing. God, when we understand that you've delivered me, the best of us, from blood guiltiness, how can I not help but proclaim your righteousness to the world around us? Here's what I'm after. Look at Jesus. A.W. Pink says that for every time you look at your sin, look at Jesus ten times. Look at Jesus, this marvelous, wonderful Savior. Look at him. Who is he? Well, he's the scepter which will not depart from Judah. He is the great I am. He is a prophet like He's a prophet like Moses. He is the sweet rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. He is the branch. He is Emmanuel. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is the manna that's come down out of heaven. He is the light of the world. He is the open door. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the resurrection of the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the vine. He is the great expiator. He is the great propitiator. He is the reconciler. He is the deliverer. He is the sanctifier. He is the glorifier. He is the morning star. He is the alpha. He is the omega. Look at Jesus. When you look at him, the Holy Spirit will give you the grace to lift him up. The Holy Spirit has come to lift up Jesus. And Jesus says that we're to lift up the Holy Spirit, and Jesus lifts up the Spirit for us. You see, your knowledge is important, vital, but that's not enough. You've got to have the Spirit's presence and power. Look at Jesus, and when you do, the Spirit will lift him up. And when you lift up Jesus, John chapter 12 says that he will draw the nations unto himself. Let me give you this story. I used to be at St. Simon's Island, Georgia, pastoring a church down there. Anybody ever been to St. Simon's Island? Yeah, Peter and Hannah are here. It was tough duty. Somebody had to do it. So here we are in about, about 10 or 11 years ago. I get a call one day from uh, what I would call a Christian activist in the community, not a member of our church. She said, have you heard what's going to happen? I said, no. She said, Aid Atlanta is coming to Jekyll Island, and they're going to put on a homosexual conference. What do you think we should do? Now, before I can say anything, she says, well, I'll tell you what we ought to do. 
we need to pick at the place. We need to lean on the Jekyll Island Authority and tell them we don't want these kind of people in our community. We need to have billboards all over town saying that we're against this and we don't want these people here. That's what we ought to do. What do you think, Al? I said, well, now, if that's what you want to do, count me out. I want nothing to do with that. But why don't we do this? Why don't we go over there and speak about the love and mercy of Jesus to these people. She goes, oh, okay. So that's what I did. Now, before I went, this was going to happen on a Friday, like two weeks before 9-11. A member of our church who manages the hotel called me and said, Al, they know you're coming, and they tell me that if you show up, they're going to have you arrested for trespassing. I said, whoa. Ah, but I bet if I register for the conference, they can't do that. That's what I'll do. I'll put my $200 down. I'll register for the conference. So then I say, okay, what I'm going to do too, it's all day Friday and all day Saturday. Uh, I'll just get me a hotel room. So that's what I decided to do. Along about Wednesday, I start thinking about it. You know, 400 homosexual men evangelical pastor by himself in a hotel room. That doesn't look good. I I said to my wife, Winnie, you got to come with me. Meet me there at 6 o'clock Friday night. She said, okay. So I go there Friday morning with two young men from my church, and it was was really, really neat. I said to these guys as we're registering, I said, hey, I'm Al Baker. They go, yeah, we know who you are. I said, okay, well, I want to register for the conference. I said, now listen, we want to have a ministry with HIV-positive men in the Brunswick-Golden Isles area. We don't know how to do that. We're here to learn. And they, except for one guy who I think was trying to shock me, everybody else was incredibly gracious, very gracious, very welcoming of us being there. And they knew where we were coming from. I had many, many wonderful gospel conversations that day and was really able to get inside the minds and the hearts of these men and the struggles they were having. So here we are on Friday evening at 6 o'clock. I'm in the hotel lobby waiting on my wife. I'm talking to two homosexual men I just met that day. And as I come up, by the way, my wife always gives me permission to tell the story. So as I'm um, waiting on my wife, she comes in And she sees me standing there with these two homosexual men. And above me is the banner, Welcome, Gay Men's Health Summit. And then I had a badge on. She saw the badge, Al Baker, Gay Men's Health Summit. And then I had my purple bag with various things in it, which, ask me privately, I'll tell you what was in there. And so she, uh, my wife sees all this going on, and she comes up and she is aghast. She can't believe it. And so as I introduce her to my friends, then we go into the restaurant and she says, take off that badge and put that bag down now. I said, why? What's the problem? She goes, I am so embarrassed. I said, okay. So we go into the restaurant. I start introducing her to my friends I just met that day. We go by one table after another. And by the time we get to our table... My wife is weeping. She says, I am such a self-righteous, judgmental person. Forgive me. 
I said, sure. So we uh, got, <laughs> what else could I say? No, I'm not going to forgive you. So we started a ministry, and I could tell you many, many amazing stories. Let me tell you one. I would meet with these men, you know, 20 to 30 of them, on a Wednesday night in Brunswick. And um, we'd have a little uh, sharing group, and at the end of the group, I'd listen to their issues, their problems, and so forth. I said, okay, now, guys, before we go, let me tell you another story about Jesus. And I'd just go through the Gospel of Mark. And then that story in, in Mark chapter 1 about the leper being cleansed, I said, I went through this whole story in great detail. I said, now, you know, you guys, you guys are the modern-day lepers, right? You understand that, don't you? Oh, yeah, we got that. And I said, you notice how Jesus comes to these people and he draws them to himself. That's the love of Jesus that he has for you. Listen, many, many of these men, prior to their deaths, they all died of AIDS, Prior to their deaths, many of them turned from their sin and embraced Christ. One story in particular, a man named Robert, about 45 years old. He was a hairdresser from New York City and moved into the Brunswick area. And I would pick him up at the local hospice. He's already in hospice. I'd pick him up. I'd bring him to the meeting. I'd go get him. I'd help him outside with his walker, 45 years old. He's got a walker put the walker in the back of my car, then we'd drive to the meeting, and I'd bring him back, and we did that for several weeks. Then I was visiting him one day, and I said, now, Robert, how do you feel? And he began to weep. He said, uh, I'm afraid to die. I said, oh. I said, now, let me tell you what happens to Christians when they die. I said, now, Robert, it is glorious. Now, here, the first thing that happens is, is that when the Christian dies, their soul immediately goes into the presence of Jesus. And they, yeah, they see their Christian loved ones, and they see the apostles and the prophets and all of these people, and that's marvelous, that's wonderful. But that's really a peripheral thing. Really what they're looking at is they're looking at Jesus, who has eyes as a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, which are made to glow in a furnace. His head and his hair are white like wool like snow. And what they hear is the 24 elders, the four living creatures saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I said, it is an amazing thing. I said, now Robert, you think of the most beautiful, lawful thing you could ever imagine in this world and being in the presence of Jesus in heaven is infinitely greater than any of those things. It is magnificent. It is beyond your comprehension in glory and majesty. Now, I said, now, that's pretty good, but it gets even better than that because the apostle Paul says that though our bodies are sown a perishable body, they'll be raised an imperishable body. Though they're sown in dishonor, they'll be raised in glory. Though they're sown in weakness, they'll be raised in power. Though they're sown a natural body, they'll be raised a spiritual body. In other words, what I'm telling you is this. Jesus goes on to say that he will wipe away every tear from their eye. There'll no longer be any death. There'll no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. In other words, Robert, here's what I'm telling you. Your body right now is racked with disease and pain. You're wasting away from this disease, and you know you're about to meet God. But I want you to know, as painful 
as your life is now. If you turn from your sin and you embrace Jesus Christ as the only Savior of sinners, He will take you to heaven when you die, even though you've lived all these years away from Him. That's what He'll do. And it gets more glorious because when He comes back again, He's going to give you a perfect body, a glorified body. No sickness, no sin, no death. No mourning, no more crying, no more pain, Robert. That's what it is. That's the glory of Christ. He embraced Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he died a week later. What a Savior. Amen? What a Savior. We got to lift him up. We got to lift up this great Jesus. How do you do it? Look at him. Pray. Come to our prayer meeting today. We do evangelism training around the world. We're going to be going to Africa later on in May. We go go a couple times a year. Do a lot of I do street preaching. I train street preachers. We're going to we were at the Super Bowl a few weeks ago. We're going to be in New York City next year. We're going to be in Atlanta in September. We want to lift up Jesus. You were blood guilty. When you understand that you've been forgiven much, then you will proclaim him much. Will you look at Jesus And will you lift up this beautiful, marvelous, glorious Savior? There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lift him up. Trust the Spirit's presence and power to work in and through you. And he says that he will begin to draw people to himself. Be filled up with the love of Jesus. What I want to see in your lives is the love of Jesus on your faces. I got a couple minutes. I want to tell you one more story. When we were in Hartford, Connecticut, planning a church, we had an eighth grade uh, girl in our church, and she'd been on a summer mission trip. And so she decided that uh, she wanted to go on another one. And she goes, where, would you, where do you think I should go? I said, well, I've got some friends in Japan. That might be good. I've got some friends in Berlin. That might be good. And don't know why I said this, but I said, um, I've got some friends in uh, Yemen. Well, she jumped all over that. She wanted to go to Yemen. I thought her parents would kill me when they heard that. So she, at age of 15, she goes to Yemen for two months. And she now just graduated from William and Mary. She now is fluent in Arabic, and she has a real heart for the Muslim people. She's been over there in Yemen several times. So one of her trips, she's there for the whole summer. She's walking down the street one day. You know, her face completely covered, right? The whole thing. She's walking down the street. She sees some women over here on the side kind of talking among themselves, urging her to come over there. At first, she doesn't know whether she should. Then she goes over. She starts talking to them in Arabic, and they ask her, are you a Christian? She goes, yes. And they said, so are we. Can we pray and fellowship together? 
And they did, and they did this several times. And one time Emily said to them, now, I'm just curious, how, how did you know, how did you know that I was a Christian? And they said, we could see it in your eyes. In your eyes. Listen, when you are in love with Jesus, it's on your face. It's in your eyes. It's on your countenance. You can't help it. Let's get this glorious doctrines of grace, our theology. Let's get it from our mind down into our hearts and out into our lives. Look at Jesus, lift him up, and he will draw the nations unto himself as we pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for these students at Covenant College. And Lord, I pray that you would work in each of us and just cause us to be in love with Jesus more and more every day. Lord, there might be some here who still not, are not yet in Jesus. Maybe they know all the right things. Lord, work in their lives. Humble them. Bring them low, just as you brought all of us low. You showed us our sin. It's painful. But Lord, it's where we need to be. So Lord, uh, if there's any here like that, save them right this very moment. That they'd call out to you in repentance and faith, believing that you will forgive them. Father, hear our prayer. Pour out your spirit on this campus. Do a mighty, mighty work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.